Radio. You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Talk Naturally, the place where your animal friends and nature come together to find health, happiness, and harmony with all the natural things the earth has to offer. Your hosts, Dr. Kim Bloomer and Dr. Jeannie Thomason, each week will lead you through the practice of taking care of your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature provides. So, get ready to learn about natural nutrition, preventative pet health, and more with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Hello, everyone. I'm Kim Bloomer. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Jeannie Thomason, your other host. And today we're going to be talking about those all-natural canines. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to be speaking today with Kathleen Boris and Tiffany Murphy. They are part of the all-natural canine uh, website, and you're going to find out all about naturally rearing our dogs and why this is so important. So uh, we hope you guys will stick around. This is something that is definitely up Jeannie's alley, isn't it, Jeannie? Oh, yeah, for quite a few years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and we also want to let you guys know a couple things. What do we call female dogs, Jeannie? We are not going to be cussing today because this is family friendly, but what do we call female dogs? They're called bitches. That's right. So get ready to hear that word today, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) And not in a bad way. And not in a bad way. And dogs are, and males are just called dogs. So now you know where all of your jokes and (laughs) stories and songs came from. But before we get into the topic for today, Jeannie is a little stressed and she'll probably tell you why. Um, We're going to hear from one of our partners and we'll be right back. Don't go away. Time to take a walk down the path to happier and healthier pets. And while we're doing that, you get to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Naturally, Pet Talk Naturally. We'll be right back. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Got a cool cat. Got a cool cat. Got a cool cat. Do you have a cool cat in the house? Well, of course I do. Got a camera? Then take a quick pic of your cool cat and enter the Pet Life Radio Cool Cat Contest. Pet Life Radio is partnering with Morris and Nine Lives to give you the chance to win a really cool cat care kit. Get a Nine Lives Play and Scratch Play Post, Nine Lives Woolly Cat Bed, Nine Lives Food Bowl, Morris Play Spinners, and much, much more. You'll also get an autographed copy of Pet Edutainer Arden Moore's new book, Happy Cat, Happy You. 
cat wouldn't want that. Everybody gets a chance to vote, and the top five coolest cats win an awesome, cool cat care kit from Pet Life Radio and Nine Lives. To enter, just go to the PetLifeRadio.com website or CoolCatContest.com. School's in session on Pet Life Radio with Teacher's Pet. Learn how to communicate with your pet, train your pet, and see the world from your pet's point of view. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Teacher's Pet, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, but our nature walk has just begun. Now, back to Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Well, today, like we said, we're speaking with Kathleen Forrest. She, is, she has the uh, Casey Scottish Terriers and Tiffany Murphy. She has Roadblock Anatolians. Now, Tiffany's the one you see on the site, but you're going to have some um, beautiful pictures of uh, Kathleen's dogs up on our main site when the show goes up next Tuesday on our main site. So look for those. They're beautiful, but you can go to their websites. We're going to be posting those. And you can also go to the All Natural Canines website um, to see a lot of the other natural rearing breeders who uh, raise these dogs naturally. So welcome, ladies. It's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I want to say my uh, today is uh, the 21st. My top bitch, Darby, it's her birthday. She's six years young today. Oh, yay, Darby, happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday, Darby. <laughs> I had to get that in there. <laughs> Good for you. That's great. Well, Jeannie had an interesting experience. Um, Jeannie, do you care to share that? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with natural rearing, but I am babysitting um, a Boston Terrier bitch for a friend of mine who's at the Nationals right now, Ooh. and she decided to um, have her temperature drop and get ready to have her C-section, so I had to rush her into the vets this morning and said, hold off as long as you can. I've got to go do my radio show, and I'll be right back. (laughs) (laughs) No puppies this morning. Well, Well, yeah. these ladies have, they're, you're going to find out why we're so passionate about not just natural health for animals, but why it's important to raise them up to be cut so that they are healthy. And it starts way back before they're born. And this is what Jeannie and Tiffany and Kathleen do. And this is why, I mean, I love supporting this. Um, because you guys do a whole lot. You don't just go out and put, uh, you know, two like dogs together of the same breed and breed. There's a whole lot more to it, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, there is. There's the, uh, well, at least with, with what I did, there's the whole research right. behind it all, uh, tracking down the best qualified and hopefully naturally reared stud and bitch that you can find, if you can find them. I unfortunately had to begin with conventionally reared uh, dogs because there just weren't any Scotties out there that were naturally reared. But I was lucky that I was able to find two exceptional breeders in the Scottie world who were willing to work with me and not vaccinate, which is a big issue with natural rearers because we Mm -hmm. don't vaccinate. I'm not talking rabies. That's a matter of law. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm talking, you know, the usual parvo, distemper, bordetella, those things. Mm-hmm. So it was quite a struggle, but I, I found two, and that's where I began. And how long ago was that, Kathleen? Um, 2002. So what, what um, generation um, natural rearing 
are you at? I'm only on my second. I've got You're a long second. way to go. No. <laughs> I know. It seems like forever, doesn't it? It does. I actually started natural rearing my own dogs in 99 before I started breeding. Mm-hmm. And through that process of learning about Scotties and all their health issues and the epidemic of cancer in Scottish mm-hmm. Terriers, mm-hmm. it just drove me literally into learning and finding out why, and that's why I decided to start breeding. I really didn't want to breed. It's a lot mm-hmm. of work, a lot of heartache, Oh yeah. but I felt it was necessary in order to preserve the Scottish Terrier. Good for you. There you go. That's the primary thing is to preserve mm-hmm. each breed, and each preserve breed has breed. its function. Mm-hmm. Um, so what about you, Tiffany? How did you get started? Uh, my experience is actually very similar, and I'm sorry, you're hearing probably an alarm in the background here. And we're probably we going to go. also hear um, dogs barking at some point. <laughs> oh, no, actually, this one's really quiet. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, my experience is actually very similar to Kathleen's. Um, I started natural care with my dogs uh, about nine years ago. Uh, and at that time, they were all, you know, pet dogs and stuff. Um, I got into the Anatolians actually just about three and a half years ago, although I had probably done my research on them starting about ten years ago when I decided that I wanted one, mm-hmm. but I wasn't yet in a position to have them. Um, and again, I had to start with conventional dogs as well. I am, as far as I know, still currently the only natural rear of Anatolians um, that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. And we hope that changes. So, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm on my first generation, really. Um, I just had a litter last September, and we're looking to hopefully repeat that very soon um, if this current breeding took. And, um, you know, just found very good breeders. I was lucky enough to the first two that I got were extremely genetically compatible and ex- exceptional specimens of the breed, and we took it from there. So. Mm-hmm. Which you ladies also, because I am going to play a puppy buyer here soon so that everyone can hear what the process is, but uh-huh. would, <laughs> would you guys, um, and, and I don't care which one of you starts first, but whoever decides to go first, would you would you tell us what that whole process entails? Because we, I can't tell you how many people have contacted us just for whatever reason, and they just think because they have two purebred dogs that that is a ticket to breed. And, um, or can you help me find a bitch because, you know, I have this great dog. And I'm like, okay, but what does that have to do with breeding? And they don't understand the whole process. So I want people to understand how much blood, sweat, and tears goes into what you guys do. Well, you want to go, Tiff, or you want me to go? Well, um, go ahead. Okay. As far as the process, do you mean as naturally breeding or selling puppies, which? I mean just actually breeding and raising them natural. Okay. First the breeding. First the breeding because that's important. First the breeding. Well, like I said, to find a sire and dam as close to natural as we can get. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we have to rear them naturally. And by naturally, I mean, and I am stringent natural rearer, no vaccinations. Mm-hmm. No flea. No why would that tick. be? Why would that be, Kathy? Why no vaccinations? Because through research and through studying and through books, we have learned that vaccinations are very detrimental. They carry with them adjuncts that are poisonous, carcinogenic. 
there is no real safety information on them. There's no even uh, research that says that they're even effective. Right. Okay, so why does my veterinarian, why do our veterinarians always tell us that we must do this to protect our pets? And we don't have to go into the whole vaccine thing today, but I want to, I just want... Uh, brainwashing, money, follow the dollar. <laughs> there what can I say? It's a big money mess. Ma- girl. <laughs> well, it's the truth. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I hate to say it, but I would imagine that a lot of practices are supported by mostly vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeannie and I can attest to that simply because we worked in veterinary medicine as um, she as a tech and, she, and I as an assistant, so uh, we do know how much that brings in. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Mm-hmm. Right, and something else that spurred me on early in my uh, walk to natural rearing was uh, several books. One of them, of course, we, we all know, Catherine O'Driscoll's book, Mm-hmm. What, what vets don't tell us tell you about uh, vaccines, right? You know, Catherine Diodati's books, Vaccine Guide for Dogs yep. and Cats, they spurred me on in that area, and I learned a lot from mentors as well. Mm-hmm. People who've been natural rearing and breeding for decades, right? And walking this hard path, so so we do not use vaccines. We do not use any flea tick heartworm chemicals. We feed a species-appropriate diet, and by that I mean raw meat and bones, because these are carnivores. Yay, raw meat and bones. Mm-hmm. Yep, they're carnivores, mm-hmm. so we feed them that. We don't use uh, household chemicals unless they're from a natural source. We don't put lawn chemicals on our lawns. We don't use herbicides. We don't use pesticides. And those have been specifically um, what has been traced to cause cancer in the Scottish Terrier also, isn't it, Kathleen? Yes. The, the, pes- the lawn pesticides. And Do you think they attribute part of that, of course, because they're pesticides, but the Scotty is low to the ground? Scotty's low to the ground. The Scotty is also a fanatical digger. Mm. They spent <laughs> yeah, terriers through and through. Yeah, my yard is a testament to the digging. <laughs> yeah. Anatolians aren't terriers, but they are definitely still diggers. So we can join you in that rank. <laughs> but they're dinners. <laughs> yeah. So we we don't. And the Purdue study proved that in the Scottish terrier, they are nineteen. Uh, they have a nineteen uh, percent higher rate of bladder cancer, and it is due to lawn chemicals. That is a fact. And yet people still use them, which boggles my mind. I don't understand. Yeah. yeah. That's mine, too. Or we get the runaround like, um, okay, we get the looks like, okay, you guys are radical. You're extremists. No. No. We're just taking back control and not buying. I like the way Dr. Joubert said, which I think both of you are familiar with. He's a great supporter of Dr. Tom Lonsdale and Raw Meaty Bones. Mm-hmm. He said, we must take back our power of attorney and stop buying into the lie. Yes, I agree. Okay. And and that's what you guys are doing. That's what your dogs are a testament to this. Right. right. And then to take it a step further, like I said, I, I'm a staunch, hard-nosed natural rearer. I believe in breeding dogs naturally. Mm-hmm. I've gotten in a few arguments with some people about AI and that whole process. But I believe that nature provides these animals with the equipment to produce good offspring. And if we force that issue, we're doing them no good. Exactly. So when I had my my sire and my dam ready to go, 
and people were asking me, what are you going to do if they don't breed or they don't tie or she doesn't become pregnant? Mm-hmm. I said, well, then I'm going to move on and find <laughs> somebody else. Right. Mm-hmm. Because either they were going to do it like nature says they should and produce viable offspring, or I'm going to have to find another bitch or another stud. Right, which is not easy when you're looking for one that's been naturally reared. It's impossible. And like uh, Tiffany, I believe I am the only natural rearing Scottish terrier breeder. There may be one other, but I'm yeah, not Yeah, I think there's sure. one other out there that claims to be, but I haven't investigated anything. Right, yeah, yeah I've heard the same person. thing. Right. And you guys, I think some of them are, you know, because I met a Neapolitan uh, Mastiff breeder recently, and she isn't where you guys are, but she's mm-hmm. stepping towards that. And I think yeah, that, that's yeah, just starting the walk. interpretation among the terms, um, you know, natural rearing. So people who are looking for a puppy... Um, um, need to keep that in mind as well is that it doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. Um, some people may call themselves natural rearers and they feed raw, but they still vaccinate and they mm-hmm. still use heartworm stuff. Exactly. So um, don't just take that, you know, that term and assume that it's everything that you want. Um, so if you're really truly looking for a natural rearing breeder who does all of these things, you need to make sure you ask those pointed questions. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do this? Do you do that? Do you use these? Um, you know, and find out what exactly is that breeder's interpretation of natural. Mm-hmm. Because it cannot be the thing you have in mind. But what we're talking about here is the you guys have reached that that full what I call you know coming um, full circle. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have come to the the. the total way that nature would do it. I mean, honestly, we don't see our wolves and our coyotes and our wild dogs making their little trek to uh, Merck or one of these other pharmaceutical companies to pick up their heartworm medicine. And I just used them out of the top of my head because they came into my head. But any of the big pharma, you don't see them going off to per- purchase their heartworm preventatives. You don't see them going to say, gosh, it's time for me to have my flea and tick medication. So. <laughs> no, and you're and they don't see heart shaped stickers in their pockets. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and they don't get vaccinated, right? And they don't and, they, and what do they eat? I mean, I honestly... But they don't get heartworm and they don't have flea infestations either. Figure that one out. Wow. Well, yeah. That's very, very because they eat a way a carnivore was supposed to eat, right? Exactly. Well, I actually had a guy, you guys, recently asked me the other day. He said, I said, so why... He was arguing with me for pet food, okay? <laughs> and his wife was sitting right there and I'd already had this discussion with her and she wouldn't listen to me and this was... Be- about a month before. Well, he's saying, he goes, I should be feeding this. And I said, why are you feeding that to him? He goes, my wife doesn't want to give him chicken anymore. I said, why not? Well, because, you know, he needs to just be eating his, his kibble. And I said, uh, no, you need to toss that and give that poor dog some chicken. And I started to explain to him. Well, I asked him, what kind of teeth does your dog have? I said, are they flat like horses or are they sharp? He goes, well, they're flat. And I said, Frank, they are not flat. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah, open his mouth. <laughs> open his mouth and look at his teeth. There isn't a flat tooth in there. They're all sharp. Designed for ripping, tearing, shredding. And and uh, uh, that's it, you know. I mean, they they don't chew, they don't grind like a horse or a cow. Therefore, why are we feeding them grains? He goes, I don't know. And I said, then you need to listen to me. You're, he goes, but what do I tell? I said, your wife has already heard me. You don't need to listen to her. She already knows what I've told her before. You listen to me. <laughs> that's what I told her. <laughs> So 
So I think you guys probably go through this. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All the time. Mm-hmm. Every time a potential puppy buyer calls. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Um, not to mention the people on the street, not to mention my pet sitting clients, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah if you're veterinarians, if they're not yeah. holistic, yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have um, handouts just to hand them because you get tired of actually? You know, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, do you? I have. I have. I carry handouts in my car. I have them in several of my little tote bags that I end up carrying around. Tiffany, you're so um, smart. I need to do Good that. And um, we even. Uh, and I think somewhere on the Raw Meaty Bones website, there's a picture of it. Um, my male Anatolian and I will frequently go to like parades and fairs and things like that. And I have a little doggy backpack that I put on him that has signs that say "Raw Fed Dog," and I put little brochures in there. And Very it's just good. weird enough. And he's a big enough dog that people will approach me and say, "What does that mean?" And that gives me the opportunity because now they've asked me. I'm not pushing it on that. Right. Um, that is awesome. You are starting to Okay. Um, but as far as the puppy buyers go, um, I actually keep keep a list, um, an email list of you know puppy update people and you know people who are interested, and I'll send out periodic information. And anybody who's interested in my puppies receives um, a copy of the Raw Meaty Bones book um, and several other handouts, vaccine information, et cetera, et cetera. And I explain to them if you're going to take one of my puppies. You need to learn this because this is how I want my puppies to continue. Right. And if they're not willing to do that, then and, and I offer support and everything like that. You know, you can call me. We, let's talk about this. Um, and that way they're comfortable with doing this before they get their puppy home. So they're not trying to housebreak and learn a whole new style of puppy rearing at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy. Well, we're going to talk about that. And I'd like to go ahead and just and just be this puppy buyer who calls you guys up. And I don't know if I'm going to be the typical one or not. You can tell me. <laughs> but um, um, I'm calling up and I'm ring ring and I say, um, I, I, I guess I'll, I'll call I'll call you Tiffany and then we'll just you know both of you guys kind of banter back and forth. See, because I'm a big dog person, Kathleen, so I'm going to go for the Anatolian here. But uh, I'm calling up and I'm saying, um, hi, I'm really interested in the Anatolians and I'm looking for a puppy. Can um, Do you have one available? Uh, well, I just bred my bitch, so we should have puppies available in July. Uh, do you know if you were looking for a male or a female? I'm looking for a male, but you don't have a puppy available now? No, I don't have any available right now. Um, oh, I was kind of hoping to get one now. Well, I, you know, I can certainly refer you to some other possible sources, um, but, you know, is, you know, is it imperative that you get a puppy now for any particular reason? I was just ready now, I guess, and I just kind of thought they'd be, you know, you kind of have them available, like kind of like they do at the pet stores. Mm, yeah. Um, no, these guys oh, use bad a little more, a uh, little more uh, forethought than that. So, um, you know, at, at this point, I would probably go into a lot of you know breed characteristics and talk about whether this person was actually a good match for an Anatolian. Okay. And I don't think that's really where we want to go with this. But um, well, yeah, I, would, I would go into that. Yeah, I would probably you know, ask uh, where you've got my phone number from. That would be my first <laughs> Whether, yeah, well, whether or not you've been to my website to read right. about our whole breeding and rearing program. There you go. You just don't have puppies sitting on shelves, do you guys? No. No. <laughs> I only breed when I have enough interested parties in a naturally reared puppy. Mm-hmm. Then I will breed. 
I am not going to breathe before I have six, seven people sitting on my waiting list who are truly right. committed to natural rearing. Good like enough. I tell them, you, you don't want a naturally reared puppy, then go to a, another breeder because I'm not breeding, so you can poison one of my dogs. That's not what I'm there about. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Here's the thing. You guys enter into a contract with the buyer. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and that contract, and I want people to be aware that when you contact a natural rearing breeder, and I think any reputable breeder, but natural rearers are going to want to make sure that that puppy is raised the way so that the generations continue on in the natural, um, so that they get healthier. Because each subsequent generation will get healthier and healthier. Pottinger's cats prove that, and I know that Celeste Arnell talked about that with us last And the week. argument that I'm going to stay or neuter my puppy so that doesn't matter does not hold water with us. Right, exactly. In fact, I I prefer that people do not spay or neuter. Now, some people call that irresponsible, and I call that being responsible because if this dog remains intact, research is showing us now that intact dogs are faring better Mm health-wise. If you take that and you put the natural rearing protocols on top of staying intact, you're going to have a healthier, longer-lived animal, and that is a fact. And we will back that up with this show with links that prove that on the spay-neuter issue. You guys really need to look it behind the scenes into what this, this, this spay-neuter issue is all about. And it and is not as, for the health of animals. No, it's not. As far as the, you know, oops, breeding kind of argument to it, <laughs> I, my feeling is if I cannot trust you with an intact animal, then I cannot trust you with one of my puppies anyway. Period. Here, right. here. Very good. Right. Oops, breedings generally happen. You know, well, well, what if it gets out loose and is running around the neighborhood? And Why is it getting out now? No, you there. don't need a puppy. Question, yeah. Let's stop the question with what if it gets out. Right. You know, right. So that preempt that just stops it right there because they That's shouldn't be getting out. That's a big red flag. Mm-hmm. You know, something else I do, and I don't know too many breeders that do it. A few do. I deliver my puppies myself. Mm-hmm. I don't care where they're going. I ask for my expenses to be paid, my travel expenses. Right. That's it. And I make sure that my pups are going to who and where they say they're going. Wow, good for you, Kathleen. Yeah, otherwise, how are we going to know? I know. know. You, 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 you have, you there are fakers, right? There are people who come and oh, you don't yeah. know what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and there's a lot of you know unscrupulous people, but I like to think more positive that more people are good. But if we want to, here's what you what the whole purpose of this show, you guys, the audience, is so that you can hear what. In other words, we've just debunked a bunch of myths, is in my opinion. We've debunked myths about breeders. We've debunked myths about um, the vaccines and the kibble poop. And now the, the spay neuter in one fell swoop, and we do have proof on that. And 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 really, here's the way I look at it: when it, when we're born, we're born with all our parts. How could we possibly think that having our parts removed, and that goes right down to even tonsils, they're proving now, and your appendix? Mm-hmm. How can removing those parts be healthy? Right. It makes no sense, no common sense. And if no, it makes it no common sense, then why are we perpetrating this lie? Mm. Come on now, like Dr. Jubert uh, you, you said, take back your power of attorney and stop buying into the lie. Right. You know, and another thing, I don't want to get off into a religious philosophical vein here. But <laughs> we really, always do. <laughs> well, you know, think about it for a moment, the audience. Everything was created here with a purpose for a reason, whatever you believe in out there, it's 
more powerful than we are. Mm-hmm. And to arbitrarily yank out parts because we think or we think science knows better just boggles my mind. I can't, I can't grasp that, that, that kind of thinking. Right. You know, and this, again, this is part of a natural wearing uh, mindset also because mm-hmm. we believe in whatever you want to call it. And there was a reason and a purpose for it all. There is a reason and a purpose. And, you know, it would be like, and I would like to just stay on this one little bit longer. What if we wanted to prevent teenage pregnancies so the way that we did that, and we're talking about humans now, you guys, what if we decided that every child at age five needed to be castrated or a radical uh, hysterectomy done in order to prevent teenage pregnancy? Now, you tell me if that makes sense. And this is what we're proposing with our pets. It is. And we're punishing everyone because there's a handful of irresponsible people out there Mm -hmm. who are causing the problem. And really, it is a handful. Right. It is a handful. And and, and of course, then people are going to ask us about the whole shelter situation. Now, breeders do not contribute to that, contrary to popular myth. No, we have a rescue network, uh, at least in the Scottish Terror world, and I'm pretty sure in almost every country in the world. You will not find any, you know, purebred dog that came from Naturally reared, definitely, you won't find her. In our contracts, at least, uh, now most of us, we have a clause in our contracts that specifically states if for any reason, at any point in time in this dog's life, you cannot keep or care for this animal, that animal comes back to us. Exactly. And, and that also, I will, I will give some credit to um, the majority of conventional breeders who try to be responsible as well mm-hmm. have that clause, too. That's now, right. the problem, yes, the shelter problem, is more with uneducated buyers and uncommitted owners mm-hmm. because they get the puppy. They can't, can't or won't keep the puppy for some reason. We don't have eight-week-old purebred puppies in there. We have nine-month-old puppies when the cute right. is worn off and they're tired of them. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, with that clause in our contract, some people still, and this is having done a lot of work in the rescue community as well, um, you know, I have seen many a purebred dog come in and you say, well, where did you get it from a breeder? Well, have you contacted the breeder? No, we don't want to bother them. We don't want them to be mad at them. We don't want them to resell it. There's a lot of reasons that people still don't honor that. Yeah. They'd rather see the dog euthanized than resold or rehomed, huh? Nice. Well, or they simply don't believe that they the breeder actually means that. Right. Um, but the breeders so, do mean that. They do mean yeah. that. Or it would be yeah. in the contract. Yeah, they do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But luckily, if you know, most rescue um, organizations and even a lot of the, the um, humane, um, Haven Humane I know here locally, we have uh, breeders that do rescue or foster homes for particular breeds on call 24-7. If they get yeah. a purebred dog in, they, they contact them, mm-hmm. and then if it's possible to trace it back to the breeder, it will be returned to the breeder, and if not, then it will go into foster care. It will not remain in the, in the pound or the shelter for longer than maybe an hour, however long it takes for somebody to get down there and pick it up. Right. I would venture to say that most of those that you're going to see in there, like you said, Tiffany, are going to be the older ones, or they're going to be the puppy male returns. Right. Mm-hmm. The ones that were bred in, um, you know, the, you know, the big... We're not definitely talking about them right here now. We're ta- I mean, they, they are, they're the ones who just mass breed with no genetics in mind, with no temperament, with, no, with nothing yeah. in mind other than to procreate. And, and then these animals have so many health problems. A lot of times people, are, or behavioral problems, they, they surrender them because of that. Yeah. So just several more reasons that I just stated here for going with a natural rain breeder. Because you guys... 
don't have dogs like that. No. Right. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I tell people, too, when they, you know, call me to ask for a puppy, that I tell them, if you don't want another member of the family, and by that, I don't mean the dog, I mean me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the dog, too. Um, right. Because you will hear from me. You mm-hmm. will get calls from me. You will get emails from me. I do want pictures. I do want to know how much your puppy weighs at four months. Exactly. I want all these things. There's going to be communication, and it's not going to stop next month. I'm not yep. going to sell you a puppy, wave goodbye, and then you never hear from me. So mm-hmm. if you don't want another member of the family, you don't buy from me. Very um, good way to put it. I never I like that. that. <laughs> yeah. and, well, and well, people mine. expect that because yeah. what we need to do, it's not just because, it's not because we're checking up on people. It's not because we don't trust you. If we didn't trust you, we wouldn't have put the puppy there anyway. Um, it's because we need to know these things about our animals. We need to know on a continued basis. We need to know how long are these animals living? Are they getting health problems at six years old? How big are they? Is there, you know, are they growing at a con- you know correct weight? If they're not, why is that? Is it because you know the novice owner is you know not feeding them properly, or is because <laughs> the vet did something stupid, or is there uh, yeah. a problem in my lines? <laughs> right, a problem in my lines, and I need to know this so that I can rethink my breeding program. Exactly. That's oh, that's exactly. the responsible breeder is keeping in touch with uh, the puppy owners. Mm-hmm. That's another that's thing, important. too. Uh, well, what we're going to do is we're going to take a short break, ladies, and okay. when we come back, we will take calls from callers. I know there is one on the line, so we're just going to take a real short break, and when we come back, we will take your calls at 646 646- Don't forget to do the dial one first in front of that. And then we will take your calls. Um, We'll be right back. Don't go away. Time to take a walk down the path to happier and healthier pets. And while we're doing that, you get to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Naturally, Pet Talk Naturally. We'll be right back. Fluff your feathers, roll out your tongue, shine your fins, snap on your leashes, and grab your human. It's the Louisville Pet Lovers Expo. Two full days of pet-tastic fun that no pet lover should miss. Join us for shopping, the Barks and Couture Fashion Show, Dream Pet Wedding, Ultimate Pet Makeover, Pet Communicator, Rescue Me Pet Adoption, Service Dog Demonstration, and tons of fun contests. Bring your pets and join us at the Louisville Pet Lovers Expo, Saturday, September 27th, and Sunday, September 28th, at the Kentucky Expo Center. For more information, go to LouisvillePetExpo.com. When you're looking to add a pet into your life, consider adopting a homeless animal from your local shelter or rescue group. Whether you want a kitten, puppy, or a more mature pet, a purebred or a -a one-of-a-kind mixed breed, even a rabbit or hamster, your shelter has the best selection of animals anywhere, all screened for good health and behavior. PetLifeRadio.com presents Take Me Home with your host, Susan Daffron. Join us each week as we showcase wonderful pets, tell stories, and even throw some pet education into the mix. So get ready to find out why the pet adoption option can be a great way to add a furry companion into your life. Take me home every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back 
but our nature walk has just begun. Now back to Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. I'm Kim Bloomer. I'm here with Jeannie Thomason, and uh, today we are we are your hosts. And today we are speaking with uh, Kathleen Boris and Tiffany Murphy. They are uh, raising those all natural canines, and um, we'll give we have put their websites. But let me just give you their websites right now, real quick. Um, Kathleen's is Scotty's R Us, so that's Scotty S C O T T I E S R U S dot com, and Tiffany's is uh, Roadblock A S D dot com. Um, but today we're talking about naturally rearing dogs, and if you have a question and you would like to call in to 646-595-4693, go ahead or type your questions up in the chat room. Otherwise, we're going to continue talking about naturally rearing dogs. And I would like to ask um, a question about, have you guys seen a difference? What, what, let's talk about what kind of differences have you seen in naturally reared dogs versus those that are not? Mm-hmm. Well, where do you start? Where do, where do you start? start? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest uh, visible uh, to the untrained eye is teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They're, they're whiter. They're cleaner. The gums are healthy. Right. Way uh, into their into their teens. Oh, absolutely. You know, My, uh, not 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 two and three year old dogs still looking clean. We're talking old dogs' teeth looking clean. My uh, oldest uh, Scotty just passed this past January, and she was fifteen. Mm-hmm. And she not only had every single one of her teeth still in her mouth; they were white, they were clean. They look like a five-year-old dog's teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a sixteen and a half-year-old Pekingese mix at home that. She's missing a couple of teeth, but those were more through collisions with other dogs over toys. Um, and she, I mean, she actually was uh, conventionally reared for the first seven years of her life. So the changes took place after that. So you know, obviously, and we, you know, I know all four of us already know this. But you know, just switching your animal, even if you've already started with, you know, the shots and the kibble and the flea stuff. Stopping it now and starting it can, you know, really add years to your pet's life. Right. Um, well, it's never too late, is it? It's, no, I mean, it's never too late. Never too late. Um, yeah, and as far as, you know, differences in puppies that have started from day one, um, you know, obviously with my own, my first litter is only eight months old, so I can't, you know, say as far as longevity or anything like that a difference, but... Um, the differences in raising the puppies were amazing. Now, again, this was also my first litter of my own, but I've raised, you know, a few litters, helped a friend, a few friends, and I hear from everybody about how much work it is, how stinky it is. <laughs> and, I, you know, I don't know if I just got lucky, but, um, you know, my puppies were fat, healthy. I got growth charts from other Anatolian breeders so that I could make sure my puppies stayed on track. My puppies were all in the very, very top percentile of, you know, weights the entire time. Mm -hmm. Um, They grew, you know, at a beautiful even rate. Um, The, you know, my adult Anatolians I did raise, you know, up on after I got them from conventional breeders uh, on the raw and my puppies you know, or, you know, they've never seen a piece of kibble in their life. Um, right. They all Yay. <laughs> grow very evenly. Um, a lot of people with large breeds um, who've had them in the past will will relate to, you know, the <clears throat> ass end up. 
they, they go high in the rear and high in the front, you know, mm-hmm. different week. And right. um, they don't do that on Raw. My puppies are, I always get compliments. My male especially got compliments all his life because he started showing at six months old. Um, and he's in the ring, and we're up against, you know, other nine-month-old males that are all gawky and gangly, and their rear is three inches higher than their shoulders. Right. And my boy always got huge compliments on being well-balanced. Um mm. And my puppies that are growing up, you know, um, they all, all six of my puppies went to natural rearing homes as well. And they all get compliments on that. I see the pictures. They're evenly growing. They're, you know, in good weight. So they're um, not they, over, they're not growing too fast because you hear this, you know, no. you have your Actually, large breed dog on this kind of food. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's the opposite. Um, right. natural, naturally reared, raw-fed, at least large breed puppies. I don't know if this is true for smaller ones, but they actually tend to grow a little slower, and so sometimes people will think they're a little small. Mm-hmm. But, well, it is the same for the uh, smaller yeah. breeds as well. Um, in the Scottish Terrier world, uh, because most are conventionally reared, almost all, the size of the litters has diminished drastically over the past couple decades in that they're getting one, two, three, maybe four pups out of a litter. Mm. My first litter came in at five. My second litter came in at seven, all mm-hmm. free whelped, which is, again, unheard of in the Scottish terror yeah, world. AI and C-section are commonplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were all wow, even. Wow, so they all did. Well, there was somebody in the in the audience that Jeannie knows, um, Muttley Crew, which I think is Jan. great. <laughs> yeah. Crew, and she said that some of the things that she's noticed, uh, bone density and structural soundness, mm-hmm. also that puppies are moving around earlier and with more stability. Oh, they are. I'll Definitely. tell you a quick story about my uh, second litter. I had seven, and I had a large kitchen, so that's where we whelped and, you know, raised them for the f- first couple months. Anyway, they're not quite three weeks old. And Darb's in the kitchen. I had a couple of the older dogs in there with her, and the puppies were all in there playing. I had to run down in the basement. And I come back upstairs, and everybody's gone, including the puppies. They're not even three (laughs) weeks old yet. And I went into a panic. Well, the older dogs decided that it was time for these young pups to go through the doggy door and to get their butts out into the backyard. And there they were. Oh. Not even three weeks old. That's awesome, Kathy. <laughs> that is really awesome. That's I mean, a great story. Yeah, I think there's I just too many pluses. I can't tell you guys how excited it makes me to hear that because I have a dog that was not properly bred, that was a rescue, that was over-vaccinated, that was malnourished horribly, and he will, He, I mean, he's doing, he's outlived another dog that was raised at home conventionally. That you know was was a um, golden retriever that I thought she would way outlive him, but because I switched him and got him off the vax and got him off the kibble and the whole thing when he was I think he was two um, or three can't remember it was in between two and th- I was making the transition from two to three is what it was um, he is uh, almost nine years old now and still I mean he's not a hundred percent healthy but. Jeannie and I feel that he's gone past the years he would have had we not gone past. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that longevity factor comes in even if you take a dog that's five, six, seven years old and switch them into the natural rearing protocol. The differences are profound. Their skin, their coat, the clarity in the eyes. And I hate to say this, but with conventionally reared dogs, and I see this a lot of dog shows that I've been going to, they're... 
it's almost as if they're they're drugged. They're uh-huh. not quite as clear and as quick. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to explain it, but there, there is a profound difference uh, that I residue, yeah. residue from everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just dumbs them down. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, I think you're right. That's a good point, Kathleen. Yeah. I mean, I've had judges comment on my dogs. You know that there's, you know, there's something about this dog. You know, it, yeah, it has a nice coat and nice teeth, but there's just something about this dog. Well, you know, yeah, I feed it raw, and they're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you guys, um, they don't I think that would make a difference. I, I've told the story so many times. But one of the things that happened when my dog was gonna, he was about to, he was almost seven at the time, and we had taken him to the vet. For for an ex, you know, the conventional vet for an x-ray, okay? And she looked at me and she goes, how old did you say he was? Because mm-hmm. his teeth were clean. There you okay? go. And he does have a little damage to both each canine, but and I attribute that to the vaccines. Yeah, um, um, the, other, the, the other thing she said was, gosh, his coat's so shiny, and Neos are usually kind of chubby. Mm. <laughs> but he's not, and he's never been. Oh, and that's the other that's the other thing. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I wanted to mention that natural rearing breeders especially, we break our backs and our banks if we have to. <laughs> right. To get, to get our dogs to homeopathic, holistic veterinarians, mm-hmm. we are really pulling away from the conventional veterinarian. Yeah. yeah. Or we at least really, really put a lot of effort into finding a conventional vet who will work with work our with you. Mm-hmm. and you're respectful of them. I've been extremely lucky. I have a wonderful vet who actually Kathleen got to meet, too, mm-hmm. um, who, yeah, he's generally traditional and conventional, but he knows how I feel about these things. He's willing to work with them before he puts anything in or on my dogs. I am consulted. Um, he says, awesome. you know, when there's something I need him, he says, well, this is the approach I take. What do we want to do? Um, you know, it's very much a partnership um, in caring for my animal. It's not he has the degree on the wall, so I hand him the money and take you know take two and call me in the morning. Good it's term. not going to work like that. I like right. that Tiffany partnership. Very good. Yeah, that's the way it should be. Um, and actually, while we're on the vet thing, um, you know, sometimes and um, and you know, we've had many discussions about this. There are certain things that you know we do need to sometimes go back to something more conventional. Um, you know, obviously, if we've got you know a broken leg or something, we're going to do an X-ray. Right. Um, You know, if it's, or, you know, there are certain, you know, things just simply cannot be treated, you know, that that we're not comfortable treating with homeopathically. For example, I have a chihuahua with some severe heart problems. He's on some conventional medication for that because I haven't found a holistic treatment, you know, homeopathic treatment, anything like that, that I'm comfortable with because if I screw up, I will lose my dog. so sometimes we do need to go back to that. Um, one thing I have noticed with dogs who have been naturally reared, especially the ones that have been naturally reared from day one, from conception, um, is that they do tend to be a little more sensitive to medications and things like that if you are having to use them. Yeah. So you need to really, really be cautious. If you have to do it, try to dose on the very lowest possible side. 
um, and really watch for any adverse effects. You cannot just, you know, do your normal dosage and right. think it's good point. Um, because you may have some more reactions to it because their bodies simply are not used to having chemicals in them. Yeah. We also use uh, alternative therapies, uh, Bach Rescue Remedy, Australian Bushflowers, Acupuncture, Kinesiology, uh, and the list homeopathy, herbs, all kinds of natural right. approaches. That's yeah. especially in our breeding programs, that is the shelf that we will reach for first. Yes. And if that fails, which generally it doesn't, especially if you've got naturally reared uh, second, third, fourth, fifth generations on the ground. Mm -hmm. But if those fail, then if we have to, you know, uh, look at other um, modalities, we will. But Mm -hmm. Well, we have a question in the audience, and I think you guys would would be great to answer. Jeannie and I answered her, but I'd like to have your take on it. But she says she's a newbie, and so she feels this is a basic question. I think it's a good one. But she said, when I get the cuts of meat, like beef or whatever, do I need to trim the fat off? (laughs) <laughs> we, of course, told her, no. no. Uh, so that, that, my answer would be, that depends, which is a frequent answer for a lot of these questions. <laughs> no, my answer would be, no, it's a misnomer. That's a human thing that we've been brainwashing and believing that fat is bad for us, so fat must right. be bad for the dogs. Dogs... Get their energy from the fat. They must have fat for energy in their whole digestive process. Mm-hmm. Well, and you want to leave the skin on too, right? Like on um, the chicken necks and so forth. So I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of like some good that's, that's natural. Them. <laughs> yeah, now, natural I to, will, to prey as possible. Now, my depends comes in with. However, we do also need to address that there are different situations. If you have a dog who has a health problem that that doesn't allow them to digest fat properly, like a dog who has a history of pancreatitis. You need to be a little more careful with that. Um, If you have a small dog and you give him a gigantic wad of fat, you might run into some digestive issues. If you have a dog who's brand new to raw, sometimes they can have a harder time with fat initially. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you don't want to, if there, if there is a lot on there, you might want to trim it for now, but start trimming less as you go on. Right. Um, if that's something that may make you uncomfortable, you know, if it's, if it's something you're nervous about, it won't be detrimental to them to cut it off for now mm-hmm. and then just start adding a little bit in because some dogs can be sensitive to it, especially if they're new to it um, right. or if you know that they have a little more sensitive stomach to begin with. Well, and then again, she also said that she heard that the fat is where the chemicals and hormones remain from the processing. So again, then then you've got to work to get the free range. And there's a whole lot of things you can do if you, if you're just feeding one dog. It's it's a little bit different than if you're feeding um, several. Uh, yeah, there are carnivore suppliers. So I find it interesting that when people start crossing over to natural rearing, and usually they start with the feeding, you know, the raw yes. feeding. Mm-hmm. Um, they question, you know, the chemicals in the meat that they're buying and so on and so <laughs> forth. That they, I wonder if they really went through the ropes and read the books and the research to find out all the crap that is in that kibble. Oh, you got it. God. There you go. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's some scary stuff in there. Oh, it right. is. Chemicals mm-hmm. in fat and hormones in fat and stuff. Um, another one of my very cliche answers is still better than kibble. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> better than kibble. That's right. Way better. I, I think if you're buying supermarket meat um, and and that's the best you can do, that is a just like light years better than kibble. Right. Better than kibble. I don't care. <laughs> and 
I don't care how many people will come to you and tell you, um, in light of a recent recall that we posted to our site by one of the major pet food companies, and this was for horse feed, they ranted and raved how wonderful this feed was, and I would venture to say that most of the people that were pro it were either working for the company um, or reps or dealers for them or employees of theirs, or they just didn't, they said it's doing great for my animal or my horses now, um, and I thought, as compared to what? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There it is. As compared to what? And exactly. why is that? I mean, where? what part of that is, you know, is natural? Mm-hmm. And um, lots of arguments that Jeannie and I heard with that. And bottom line is, is this what animals would feed if left to their own? Eat? Is this what they would eat if they were wild? And Dr. Lonsdale has said this very clearly, and so is Dr. Joubert. Dogs are house wolves. Cats are house lions. <laughs> Horses are wild mustangs, okay? None of them are domestic. They just live with us, you guys. There's, There's nothing different about those animals and our wild animals. Our animals and the wild animals are no different in in, in their DNA. Internally, right. Well, yeah. When I worked for the uh, federal government for a while, I worked for the uh, Federal Highway Administration in Columbus. Mm. And in Columbus, there's this nasty, stinky rendering plant. Tiffany's familiar with it. Yeah, I'm about a mile away from it. Oh, no. And um, I had seen a charge because I was a network administrator, and I saw a charge on a bill for this guy that runs up and down the highways picking up dead animals. And they, the feds pay him to do this. So I asked one of the engineers, where do these animals go? And he said, take a deep breath. They go into the rendering process. Mm-hmm. Part of what and that means that that's what, that's what your pets are eating. That's and that's just right. the tip of the iceberg, you right. guys. You know, just, they spray on chemicals, and um, um, called they like to call those vitamins. <laughs> um, and after they've cooked this at this amazingly hot temperature that will never have anything of, of of use to your pet nutritionally left in it to eat. I mean, you may as well just go get them some cardboard and feed that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Spray a little bit of, you know, some kind of synthetic something on it and call that food. You know, I uh, my husband's really good at going one-on-one out into the public and, and uh, when they're buying this food at the store, oh, what kind of dog you have? And then he goes, why are you feeding him that? <laughs> and um, he will say, how would you like to have a bowl of Cheerios for every single meal for the rest of your life now it says balanced and complete on that box but does that mean for every single meal hmm. mm-hmm. and grains for a carnivore hmm. well give a <laughs> well, rabbit I, a steak yeah another you know, thing and that i tell people on the food issue it, it's very simple why don't why shouldn't dogs get those things because they don't have thumbs Right. (laughs) Well, now here's the train of logic on that. Dogs don't have thumbs. So dogs, in order to process for their body to make veggies and grains and fruits into usable materials, those things have to be pre-processed for them Mm -hmm. in some way. Um, Straight and raw, those are not usable. They just come out the other end. They have to be pre-processed. Since dogs don't have thumbs, they cannot process their own food. Therefore, can't we just logically conclude that since they can't make it into a usable form on their own, their bodies shouldn't receive it? Makes sense to me. It Perfect makes sense. total sense. Yep. So yep. dogs don't have thumbs, so they don't need grain. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a really good point. And, you know, I think it's just, there's some simple things, and I, I know if you guys look at the photos of these dogs, you're going to notice a lot of things. But first and foremost, they have bright, clear eyes, yep. shiny coats, 
clean white teeth as both Tiffany, Tiffany and, and Kathleen have said. And here's some other pluses. Okay, they're not going. Dogs aren't supposed to smell. They're a carnivore. They're not supposed to have a doggy odor. That is not normal. So you're not going to have the stinky dog smell mm-hmm. or no. the stinky dog breath. Oh no. Um, but the other another plus that you guys might really cherish is small poop. <laughs> oh, you don't, people you don't are on it up. And no real odor to it either. No, I have Anatolian Shepherds. My dogs weigh, my bitch weighs 105. My male weighs about 120 now. Mm-hmm. Um, when we go to the park, my dogs are still social enough. They can go to, you know, the dog parks and stuff. And the other owners watch my dog poop and their jaws drop. Because my 120-pound male, he poos about the size of an average cocker spaniel. Mm-hmm. And Same they're like, mine. is that all there is? And he's like, yeah, it's because he used it all. And I right. need to notice you know, something. that It's tight, it's tiny, it's small. I know we're talking about poop mm-hmm. here, guys, but this is important to the overall health of your pets. Um, tiny, tight poop. And it doesn't hardly smell. And I can always tell when another dog is kibble-fed near and they're oh, my dog walks with two kibble-fed dogs, and, man, their poop is just like, it is funky. And they always look like he has this, they'll, they'll give me a bag. Well, he's so big, you need a bigger bag. Oh, no, I can take a smaller bag than you guys got to pick up his poop. <laughs> Yeah, because really. this is so tiny, and they always look at it like, God, I can't believe that's all he poops. That dog's constipated. Oh. You pet <laughs> them, too. You pet a kibble dog, and you get that smell on your yeah. hands, and it lasts for days. You can't get rid of it. Right. Yeah. Oh, and right. kibble. Right. Yeah, I, I was amazed, you know, like people, well, people, other breeders came over and visited my puppies when they were, you know, little bitty babies and stuff, and I actually had several of them comment that it doesn't smell. And, you know, it doesn't smell nearly as bad as, you know, oh, my house stinks when I have puppies, you know. And when I had, I had a litter of six Anatolian puppies, and my house did not smell bad. Mm-hmm. And, you got, you know, and, kibble, and there you go. And you yeah. know what else? Poop, you know, it's not a lack of them cleaning it. It's just that it stinks. Right. The thing yeah, is that Dan the made a real good comment in the in the chat room that it's it's biodegradable. You know, I mean, if if you don't right. get it picked up, it's gone in a day or two. You it can't is. find it oh, anymore. <laughs> well, and you know, the thing about it, you guys, say that we do more damage by picking it up in the plastic bags and preserving it when we turn it <laughs> up after our dogs than if we just left it there. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're actually right. You know, and I think the thing is too that the animals are assimilating this food. So much better. There's not a lot of waste that's going to come out when they're able to assimilate that. They can't assimilate all those grains and all the other junk that is in the kibble. So why not give them what their bodies need? Since we're talking about puppies right now, too, another thing, another additional bonus to that, you know, little bit of poo is that you're not having to take your puppy out and poop it eight times a day with all these colors. Yes. You need a house break them. Also, another benefit and... Now, I don't know if this is true for your mischievous little Scotties there, Kathleen, but um, (laughs) my puppy buyers have noted that um, their puppies are considerably less destructive and less, you know, chewy than others. And I think a large part of that is because they satisfy so much of that with their food. And, um, you know, that's not going to happen if if people feed, you know, round stuff and things like that. Again, Mm -hmm. still better than nibble, but not as good as, you know, giving them big hunks of stuff. But you give puppies... You know, you have a puppy a neck bone to work on, and they're going to get a lot of that energy out, a lot of that troublemaking out. They're going to, you know, exercise themselves. It's not just about the nutrition. It's also Mm -hmm. a good behavior modifier. Exactly. I mean, most of my puppy briars have said this is the 
least destructive puppy I have ever owned. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep, the same with awesome. my mischievous yeah. uh, crew, too. <laughs> Even with uh, the terriers. Huh? You know, terriers are terriors, and they're tough. They're mm-hmm. a yeah. tough dog, and you got to be a terrier person to really live well with them. Mm-hmm. But I have found the naturally reared terriers... They're not destructive because mm-hmm. it's not only, like Tiffany said, the nutritional value. There's also a psychological satisfaction for a dog right. or the carnivore to chew and chew and chew. They get exhausted and just go to sleep on you after hours <laughs> chewing on a bone. It's bad. That's work. true. No. Well, ladies, we've actually run out of time, so I'm going to put you each on the spot. We have about two minutes left, and we need um, so we'll have to kind of speed it up here. But um, what words of wisdom would you like? to leave the audience would you like to impress upon the audience in closing (laughs) (laughs) I would like to impress upon the audience do your homework contact a natural rearing breeder and get your next puppy from a natural rearing breeder and you'll find that you'll be happier your household will be happier and your puppy will be happier awesome what about you Tiffany um gosh just do do the very best you can for your animals, um, and that includes, you know, doing things naturally as much as you possibly can. Um, you know, obviously, sometimes we have to, you know, adjust things for our lifestyle, but you can still, no matter what your lifestyle is, you can make accommodations to get your animals toward a more natural balance in their lives. Thank you so much, ladies, for being with us. We'd invite you to visit their websites, both of them. Um, you can find Kathleen's at scottiesrus.com and Tiffany's roadblockasd.com. And also, where a lot of natural rearing breeders are, you can go to http col, um, colon forward slash forward slash A-U-N-A-T-U-R-E-L-K and the number 9S.org. That's allnaturalcanines.org. We thank you guys so much. Get your next dog from a natural rearing breeder. Yay. (laughs) In the spirit of love and truth, we hope you all have a tail wagon, hoof stomping, wing flap. Sorry about that, Jeannie. Have a tail wagon, hoof stomping, wing flapping, perfectly animal talking day. Pets and Nature come together every week on Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim Bloomer and Dr. Jeannie Thomason. Learn how to care for your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature has to offer so your pets can live a happy, healthy, and harmonious life. Pet Talk Naturally, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Naturally. Naturally.